Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday short week for the Trojans. They had to play on Sunday night, beating the Washington State Cougars 38-13, thanks to a first quarter explosion by Keen Slovis. And I'm on Ross St. Brown. We're going to talk about that with Keely Yours. She'll be on the line here in a second. Follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name, doing a great job. Covering the Trojans, make sure you're checking out her instant analysis pieces up on uscfootball.com. If you have any questions or comments for the show here, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call or text us at 424-254-9141. But the best way is on Apple Podcasts, any of your Apple Podcasting apps. If you can subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star rating, a review with some comments, feedback, suggestions, and any questions you have will bump you right up to the top of the list. I think we have a question today, so we're going to ask Keely to read those reviews and and send us the question. Keely, how are you doing today? Hello, hello, Ryan. Doing well. Still trying to get my bearings after a Sunday night game. That was a little weird on the whole uh, system, but um, we're on a Tuesday pod. We're in the regular schedule, so I'm thinking I'm getting the hang of it. Yeah, this that Sunday game set me off. Like I usually rewatch the game on Sunday, so I didn't rewatch the game on Sunday, and then I didn't bother to even do it on Monday. So it just sort of set me <laughs> off. I, I've been doing like a column after the game, and then I kind of waited till today to do a columny thing. So it just it kind of threw off my whatever my mojo from covering the game. Yeah, and especially doing a live show on Monday night, it was like, okay, is it a Sunday? So I, I'm get it's a little confusing, but I kind of like the Sunday game, the only f- college football game being played. It kind of felt kind of cool. So I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty neat that you know it's the only college game on. It's sort of tried they tried to wedge it in between the late afternoon NFL game and the Sunday night game, but um, I don't think the Sunday night game was that good. But it was it was fun. I mean to to just kind of check it out and uh, yeah, and then doing a show on Monday night that we normally do on Sunday night, opposite Monday night football. Um, that was fun too, but yeah, that sort of kind of throws a wrench into everything. We'll still do our Wednesday show, uh, previewing USC and, uh, UCLA. We'll do that, uh, tunnel vision. And I'll also do a, another podcast. Uh, we'll get David Woods on from uh, Bruin report online. So previewing the UCLA squad. So we're still doing our normal stuff, but it's just kind of been crammed in the beginning of this week. Yep. Alrighty, shall we go to the... We have three new five-star reviews, Ryan. Wow, but thank you everybody for those. Thank you, thank you. First up is from Jen, uh, who says, I'm new here, but gave us five stars. Uh, she said, love the pod. One of two that I listen to on a daily basis. The other is Raina Troy, our friends at Raina Troy. I just want us to win. It's hard to listen because we all know the team can be better. All of us have a pretty good idea why they aren't, too. I hope we have more of Chris Trevino. Clearly a welcome addition personality-wise. Can we make Chris more of a regular thing? Oh, and let's hear more from Gmart. Dude has been a ghost, uh, but Gerard has his own premium podcast now, right? Yeah, uh, Ryan? he hasn't put one up for a while, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we got to get True. him to do some more of those. Yeah, so, I he, mean, yeah, those are early, on uscfootball.com. So you got to check them out there. Yeah, early signing period is coming up real quick, so... I'm yeah. sure he'll be around and out and about pretty soon. And then we had another five star from Hero Fine 
who said, must listen for USC fans. This is the podcast you need to listen to for all things USC football. Ryan has the best food to football analogies in the history of broadcasting. Keep them coming. And Keely's knowledge and insight into the program are invaluable. Although sometimes she seems to hold back on our opinions a little. Don't be afraid to let it rip, Keely. That's what we want. (laughs) I like uh, that. Uh, yeah, look at that. And then he has a question. He says, I always hear about how thin USC is at linebacker, but I never seem to hear about Taylor Katoa. What's going on there? Is he just not good enough to contribute? Thanks for giving me hours of enjoyment every week. John the Dag. Uh, thanks, John, for that. Yeah, I think, was it a shotgun that asked about Taylor? And it was yeah. sort of like, he's still on his way back. And it's just like, he's not quite, you know, he comes back from the mission. I forget exactly what the answer was, but something like that. Yeah, he... Obviously, it's hard to get back into football shape when you've been on a, a mission for two years. And then I believe he had a little bit of there was a little bit of an injury there, too. I forget what specifically yeah. it was, but it, it also hindered him coming back. So I think they're just treating this as a, a time period for him to get back into football shape and not really ready to go immediately for USC. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they did move Raymond Scott over. And like you saw in this game, it really was more about putting the the you know other starters on the field as opposed to. Uh, you know, someone like him that could come in and contribute, but not necessarily, you know, oh, he's not the next guy up to be the starter. They're like, well, we'd rather move Talano Hufunga down. Uh, similar yeah. to what we see on the offensive line. Like, if you're the backup, you know, left guard, but you're, you know, 10th on the, you know, the total list of offensive linemen, if the left guard goes down, it doesn't mean you move up and play. Like, you're, you're going to be 10th on the list still. Someone else, number six is going to move over there and, or someone else is going to move around. Yeah. But Helton did say that, uh, that, moving Talano was actually installed in preseason and that was something that they tried to do for more spread teams so it wasn't specifically a Raylan Goforth uh, adjustment it was actually something that they had kind of pre-prepared for Wazoo specifically so it worked out in that sense sure Kim, sure uh, okay but still <laughs> I know, no, that's what I they know. said though you're right that's what they said I didn't buy yeah, it but, but that's what they said well, well, I, think, I think the point is, is that I don't think it's viable to have Talano there for every team you face. You know what I mean? There's going to be adjustments that you have to make, even though Talanoa is is a beast and we'll get into that. But I'm just saying, I don't think it's it's the solution to everything where I think some people have adopted that at this point. Very true, yeah. Uh, so then our final five-star review is from LV Trojan, who gave us five stars. Fulfill your Trojan football fix. If you're a USC football fan, this is by far the best podcast to subscribe to, the Parasol Podcast, Tunnel Vision, and Podcast of Champions, Ryan Abraham's other podcasts on the Pac-12 as a whole, are all great sources for Trojan-related info and entertainment. I've been a season ticket holder for over 20 years, despite living out of the state, and I tell everyone that you either have to be a season ticket holder, a uscfootball.com reader, or a Parasol Podcast subscriber to truly call yourself a diehard USC fan. There you go. Thank you, LV Trojan. Ellie Trojan, that's awesome. Thank you so much. It's a, you know, it's so nice. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, we did get a shout out. You know, one of my, they're easily in my top 10 favorite USC podcasts, the Rain of Troy people over there, uh, Lisa and Michael. No, we're just kidding. I love those guys. Um, I was listening to their post game, you know, their car cast, and they both got the Rona. I feel so bad. I know. So they sounded so sick and sad. So yeah. Yeah, I thought I they were just under the weather, and then they like say we've got the Rona. I was like, oh man, so you know, sorry, I you know, know, you guys have done that. They're they're friends of ours, and uh, you know, we really wish them the the best. Yeah, they're great people, and we hope they get they recover quickly. But I've been checking in on them almost daily, just making sure they're doing okay. But it's they're they're having a tough go about it, so hopefully uh, they get better soon. I know. Sorry yep. to hear that, but uh, yep. yeah, hopefully those guys get better soon. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of their podcast, but you know, they're cool people, so. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, 
Shay, <laughs> just kidding. We love them. Yeah, I wouldn't know unless I listened to it. So I had to listen. True. To it, like, True. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so before we jump into things, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. I wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. One of the things I haven't mentioned for a while, go in there and pick up some fresh flowers. Like, that's cool stuff, you know? Like, if uh, you want to kill, kill you, you want to, you know, surprise your roommate and put some flowers on the table, it's kind of cool. You know, it's uh, you can get some Christmas-themed ones. Now we're in the, the holidays, so pick up some fresh flowers. But I also saw another... I haven't got this one yet. Like I got the uh, the cookies last time, but they're non-dairy mint chip bonbons. Uh, oh. I, I, I wasn't. I was always a mint chip fan growing up, and then I started to kind of get away from it. But these look really good. And I don't like them. I'm just kind of like yeah. But they're not dairy, so if you have a problem with dairy, these little chocolate covered bonbons with mint chip uh, ice cream in there. So they look really good. It's coconut milk uh, frozen dessert. So they're not. Uh, it's a non-dairy thing. So check it out. If you want a little like frozen treat in the cold weather, uh, this one looks like a good one. Ooh, sounds very good. And also glad to be back to your dessert recommendations, Ryan. It feels it feels right. <laughs> that's more me, you know. I'm just more it of is. A, a dessert guy. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's whatever. Uh, all right. So where we got to go here? We have some topics we want to get to. Um, I wrote a little story about this today. Maybe we'll start with the run game. We got a Zoom call with. Graham Harrell and uh, Gary Bryant Jr. And, of course, uh, head coach Clay Helton. And one of the things he was asked about after the game was the the run game. USC had a net five yards rushing. Actually, it was 25 yards on 16 carries for just the running backs. But obviously not what um, he's been looking for. I just remember what he had said after the Arizona game, Keeley, that you know to be a championship team, they want to run the ball better than it did last year. And last year was 120 yards a game. Uh, they wanted to be 165, 170. That's what Alabama and LSU were doing, even though they had prolific passing offenses. And then we saw a drop-off over the last two games. The, the Utah game was 93 yards, and then this one was only five. Um, so, you know, kind of asked. It seemed like a little bit different answers when I talked to Clay. You know, I asked Clay Helton about it. Like, is it still a priority? Because they did win handily in those two games. They didn't run the ball very well. And he's still saying it is, you know, he feels like you need to run the ball. You might have an off game for your quarterback. Like the first two games, you know, Keaton Slovis maybe didn't play his best and they were able to run the football. Uh, Graham Harrell. I mean, he had a couple different answers, but the, the one that you remember is like this kind of flippant, like, well, you know, going into the half Keaton Slovis was 17 of 17 with five touchdowns. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not too concerned. So, which was like, and to me, that made sense. It's like, to me, this is really more of a passing offense that it's nice, you know, running the ball is a nice to have. I know there's USC fans that are, that's sacrilege. You got to be able to run the football and I get it, but you know, just watching what this offense does, they would like to run the football, but it's going to be, you're going to make your hay with this offense throwing the football. And if you happen to run it, that's great. But if you don't, you could still throw for five touchdowns in a half and, uh, and, and blow somebody out. So I don't know what, did, what were your thoughts and hearing everything about what everyone said about the run game, Keely. Yeah, I mean, you you highlighted it, but it was really interesting because the way it worked out is you have Helton go first and then Harold follow him, and it was like two separate uh, uh, themes or or they were they were on different pages. That was the easiest way to say it because Helton acknowledged, you know, the second half they were sluggish. They didn't put in. 60 minutes of complete football. Um, And so you kind of get that answer from Helton. And he said that, you know, 
it was everyone taking turns. And what he meant by that is it would be one offensive lineman who messed up on one play. It would be one wide receiver not blocking well in the perimeter. And then that's why you don't have the run game really go. And then we get to Graham Harrell. And just like you said, I mean, he just looked so disinterested. (laughs) If If I had to be honest about he just didn't want to talk to us today, really. And so it was just like, okay, that's interesting. And, and I get that. Like, everyone has off days. Maybe you don't want to answer things. I get it. But uh, he was asked, like you said, Ryan, uh, what's your concern level about the run game? And his exact quote was, I think when the quarterback goes 17 to 17 and a half and throws five touchdowns, you're doing some things well. So that's our level of concern. So, And I think someone in the office around him laughed at that. But, you know, it's just interesting hearing the two separate answers. And on the whole, that's the interesting thing about evaluating this game from an offensive standpoint. It's like, okay, on on the air, like they really aired out the ball well. They did well. But then when they want to actually run the ball and actually like salt away the clock, they can't really do it. The second half just looked kind of clunky. And so in the, in a vacuum, I think you take this game for what it is and you say, hey, that was crazy by Amon Ross St. Brown. Keen Slovis looked good. But then you can't do the things that you want to do when you need to do them, like just run the ball in garbage time, you know? So that's concerning. And granted, I think Graham Harrell was a little bit sassy just because we got further context as to what the last two weeks look like for them, you know, just with all the COVID-19 issues. And he basically said, we didn't really have our starting offensive linemen for two weeks due to either they were in isolation or they were in quarantine. He said, basically Cortland Ford and Casey Collier who were in their little playpen. That's what he called it. But usually the offensive <laughs> line are, are out off to the, the side uh, in practice on Howard Jones field. So, he said, you know, we were doing seven on seven for most of the week. And so you have the starting offensive linemen show up to the team hotel on Saturday and then play on Sunday. So when you have that context, I think you are a little bit more lenient about what you saw from USC. And, and you can see that it just looks a little bit like rust because we saw some things from AVT that just didn't look like an AVT play, you know, so it makes sense. But the problem is that you can't just evaluate this game in a vacuum. They've had problems running the ball. They've had problems and short yardage and critical situations where everyone knows they're going to run the ball. So uh, it's hard. It's hard to evaluate this because, like, you know, you can't really run the ball. And so to your original point, Ryan, I think you can say, yeah, just have have them really sell out to the air raid and do you really need to run the ball? That works. The caveat is that the team that you're playing against has to play man. And Helton even said today that he was surprised at how much man the Washington State played, even coming out of the second half. So, yeah, it works if you're not going to have that zone coverage that USC struggled with where they're getting pressure with three guys. But so it it really depends, Ryan. And I just don't think you you need a run game to have a successful offense. Otherwise, you're going to have guys king on you and it's not going to come as easy as we've seen. And, And Washington State just wasn't that great of a football team either. So it's it's kind of a mixed bag for me. And I know that was a run on answer Ryan but I think it's complex and I think that's what you have to look at it from different factors as well yeah no it is complex and that was a good run on answer that's fine uh, to be fair they did not use that excuse and we didn't know uh Graham Harrell was pretty frank about yeah all the starters were in a hotel until Saturday afternoon they walk out of the hotel and then they played the game on Sunday so there was no practicing with the starters no Clay Hilton or Graham Harrell didn't say well we couldn't run the ball because we didn't have an offensive line for two weeks um, that, that, you know, you could, you could legitimately say that now we saw, you know, uh, uh, shotgun pointed out that Ohio state didn't have four of their starter offensive alignment and they ran for 300 yards against, you know, Michigan state, which is a good run defense. Washington state was given up 200 yards a game. That was not a good run defense. So there, I think there's, you know, reason, legit reason for some, uh, concern there. 
but you know, it, it's one of those things where this, I really feel this is more of a finesse kind of offense and you can have a lot of success without the run. I don't think this is an offense that can succeed without the passing. Like you can't just run the ball and it's going to work. Like you can throw the ball and maybe you run the ball, maybe you don't, and it can be a very successful offense. Yeah. And the one thing you you pointed out, and I mean, I don't want to harp on this because it's, you know, this is a pandemic. It's hard for these, I mean, these coaches and the players, they're not seeing their families. You know, they're like, it's, it's tough. You know, they're like secluded all the time. Uh, I mean, a lot of the players and stuff, like not being able to see the families and things like that. You're, you know, not going to go home for holidays and all that kind of stuff. But it, Graham Harrell just seems a little disinterested when he's doing those interviews. The one time he did it in a car and the other, like the, the one today, earlier on Tuesday, it was just like, I felt like he was playing Tetris or something on the side and then like answer the questions. Sometimes he'd perk up a little if he liked the question a little more, but it was, you know, it's kind of weird, but you don't want to fault him. I mean, I get, you know, these guys are going through a lot. Yeah, it was, I, I've just noticed that he's, he usually is standoffish for the most part, even when we could talk to him in person. I think he was a little bit more relaxed in person, but I think he just has this sense of we don't really get it. And so we're not going to ask intelligent questions, which I get that to a certain extent because we're not offensive coordinators. I admit that, obviously. But at some point, it just feels a little like, okay, maybe you could like face us a little bit. I don't know. It just, it's, I get everyone has off days and doesn't want to do things sometimes, but it just felt, it felt, I came away from the pressure being like, ooh, he doesn't like us, <laughs> you know? Maybe a little of that. It's, and the thing that I, you know, I mentioned this on Tunnel Vision is I agree with Graham Harrell. Like if you're, I, I forget which game it was. It was, uh, I think USC was playing, it might've been a Rose Bowl against Michigan with like Pete Carroll. And like they were doing, like Michigan was like selling out to stop the run. I'm not saying that's what happened on, uh, on Sunday. And he just had the quarterback just throw the ball. Like every time, like they didn't even like run the ball and they just threw it all the time. And that's fine. Like if you can do that, you can do it. And he finished, you know, Slovis completed 17 straight passes to end the half. And, you know, he had four touchdowns in the first quarter alone. I think that's a legitimate answer. It's like, you know, we don't need to run the ball all the time. If they're, if it's there, we're going to take what it gives us. The issue I had was like Clay Helton sort of made that statement or he did make that statement after the Arizona game. Like, this is the way it's going to be from now on. Like, we're going to be running for 170 yards a game. That's what we want to do. And I don't think you necessarily need to do that because you can throw the ball so well. So it's great if you can, but I, I, I did not, I just, I think I had an issue with what he said because it just made it sound like here's the new norm. And it's that really not. And what Graham Harrow said is like, yeah, if we're throwing the ball like that successfully, we don't, you know, and the run game's not working. Oh, well, and we got to, you know, an, an offensive line that's coming out of quarantine. And if we just have to throw the football, if that works, that works. It's I, I, I kind of liked his attitude toward it, even though it was a little, you know, flippant, I guess. Yeah, I guess Graham's is at least accepting what you know. Like if the if the pass is working, just pass the ball, you know, whereas, yeah, <laughs> yeah basically what you're saying, Ryan. But the thing with Helton is Helton's going to say what he's going to say. You kind of have to take it for a grain of salt. I mean, he also said he was really excited to see Palia this season and look where that's ended up, you know. So it's I think Helton will say things and we kind of have to just judge whether or not we take it like 100 percent seriously, you know. Yeah, well, we'll get into the EA thing in a little bit. Um, one of the, there was a couple of big injuries though, that Clay Helton broke on uh, Trojans live on Monday night. If you want to uh, fill people in on what those are. 
Yeah, so there's two season-ending injuries, one with uh, Greg Johnson. He tore his meniscus against Washington State. Uh, he'll be receiving surgery this week, so he will be out for the rest of the season. And then Jude Wolf actually broke a bone in his foot uh, in the game as well. He has to get a pin in his foot, so he will be out for the rest of the season. Uh, Jude, his playing time had decreased as the season progressed just because he was dealing with an ankle injury, so... I don't think you're going to see a real difference there as far as that goes. And then Greg Johnson, the thing that you take away from Washington State, obviously Greg Johnson played well, so that's unfortunate, and you want to see guys be healthy. But you also saw Max Williams, Chase Williams play really well. Uh, so they look for those guys to step up now that he's going to be gone. So USC secondary is talented enough where I don't think Greg Johnson's will be a, a big loss. So I think USC will be okay with these two guys. And then Raylan Goforth, uh, he did practice on Monday. That's a light practice for USC. Uh, Helton said it looked positive. It's trending in the right direction, but he didn't play on Saturday, obviously. Uh, and then Liam Jimmins, he uh, had a elbow subluxation. So basically dislocated his elbow. It's the same elbow he dislocated against uh, Arizona that kept him out for a couple games last season. So uh, just something to watch for there. He couldn't finish the game. And that's something where you have to wonder how much that also impacted USC's just ability to do things on the offensive line. Because at one point you had two true freshmen playing their first college game uh, at, at the guard positions uh, in the second half. So I think that definitely impacted things as well. So whether or not Liam Jones will be good to go, he was listed as day to day, just something to watch for there. Yeah, and the, the problem right now is you're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Like, a day-to-day -day injury could be season-ending. You know, like, a you know, <laughs> yeah. knee, sur knee surgery is season-ending, but so could, like, uh, oh, I sprained my ankle. It might take me 10 days to recover. Like, all right, well, season will be over, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. besides, like, the, the bowl game or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. But speaking of, um, you know, season being over, so USC, UCLA this weekend, like I said, we'll preview that uh, a little bit later on in the week, and we'll, you know, check out Tunnel Vision. But after that, that Friday, so another short week, would be the Pac-12 championship game. If USC wins, they will be the South representative. They will be 5-0 and in the division. Colorado, uh, if they win, they would also be 5-0, and but only 4-0 and in the division because they had one out-of-conference game. And USC would get the nod because they had one more division win, even though USC didn't get to play Colorado. No fault to Colorado because USC had the COVID, so they couldn't. Uh, they, they had the Rona stuff, so they couldn't play. And so Colorado basically gets screwed out of this if they go undefeated because their opponent, two of their opponents, weren't able to play. It wasn't Colorado's fault that they didn't, you know, the games that they missed, it wasn't on Colorado. Um, I know what there's been a lot of talk on Twitter, Keeley. I think Kyle Bonagora and uh, John Wilner, guys that cover the Pac 12, were trying to figure out a way for USC and Colorado to play or for Colorado to, if they're undefeated and you know, go in and play in a championship game ahead of a team from the North. Any thoughts on any of that stuff that people have been talking about? Yeah, well, I think Kyle asked the Pac-12, like, would you be willing to move things around? And the Pac-12 was like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> and I think a large part of that is no one wants to move UCLA, USC in primetime. That's good, some good TV money right there. But I thought it was funny. The, the Pac-12's answer was like, we put protocols in place and we're not about to change them. But it was like, you also changed your out-of-conference rule in season so can you really change things you definitely could have but um i mean there was a lot of hoopla for for colorado on twitter you know how sometimes twitter gets very up in arms about things and so rightfully so i mean that's it sucks for colorado they had two games canceled not of their own fault but i guess that's just the way the wacky 2020 season goes and the funny thing is that usc could know its fate 
uh, before even playing UCLA because Colorado and Utah play on Friday. So that if Utah somehow beats Colorado, then USC clinches uh, the South either way. Yeah. And I, I had some people like tweeting at me, um, you know, uh, some guys like, you know, they lost their spine and they won't play Colorado. And it's like, oh, yeah. So <laughs> you understand that USC doesn't have a choice in this, right? Like this is the schedule. And, uh, you know, talk to like some people at USC and uh, on my thoughts on this. And I think, you know, they agreed with me for the most part where it's not. It, you know, if you wanted to consider something like that, like Keeley said, everything's changed on the go. So if you say, well, that's just not the way it's done. Well, there's like, I'll give you a million things that aren't done that way. So that that's a poor excuse of why you can't do something. But I think at this point, you're hanging on by thread and you're trying to get these games played. Last week was the first time the whole Pac-12 played. No games were canceled. Only one game was delayed a couple of days. And if you didn't delay that game, USC would have been out there whole starting offensive line. So you had to delay the game just to even have it happen. But if you're going to, so you're going to reschedule a game, it should be because, well, one team can't play. We're going to move some things around. If you're going to take two, what we think are healthy teams and two other, what we think are healthy teams and swap them all around. And then something gets screwed up and one team's healthy. Like, Hey, we were going to be able to play. And now you just moved it. You know, UCLA was going to be able to play USC, but then you moved it and they got to play Utah and Utah got sick and now UCLA loses their game, but they would have, you know, there's a lot of problems with something like that. I think you don't want to mess around with a schedule that seems like it's working because you want some kind of competitive game, you know, and it's, if it was like a two teams are nine and O or something, and it's like, okay, we want to see them play and the teams in the North are six and three and just. But there's only four, five, six games. I mean, there's just not that many games. You know, you're talking about one team that's played, you know, two teams that played five games. It's uh, to me, it's just not enough of a sample size. We're like, oh yeah, we have to have Colorado and USC play each other. It's like it's like number one, number two. Like the you know, it's just not to me. That's just not as important because it's such a small season, and I don't want to see them messing up a schedule that's you know already hanging by a thread. Yeah, no, I mean, the ideal thing would be to just move everything back a week, but then you have, because we assume, obviously, that no Pac-12 member is going to make it to the college football playoff, so you don't really need to factor that into your timing. Just move everything back a week before you have your championship game, and then you kind of have a makeup week, but then you push into Christmas and all those holidays, so then it's like, uh, can you really do that? So that's not ideal. But the thing that I find interesting just about the U- USC Colorado debate. And like you said, Ryan, it's not like two nine and O teams. It's like Colorado's never lost, never won against USC in their history. And then Colorado was also a 10 point underdog coming into the game. So it wasn't like this was going to be like two huge matchups where everyone was like, who's going to win. It just USC was favored. And I know anything can happen. And USC had to win in the last minute, two games in a row. So nothing's guaranteed with this USC team, but it just didn't seem like the matchup that I think online is trying to make it to be, you know? <laughs> right. No, I know. I agree with you there. Um, but it, it is definitely uh, unfortunate, but, you know, that's sort of like the the way it rolls. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, both teams got to go out there and, and take care of business. And I don't have an issue with them, you know, moving the season back, but then you kind of run into Christmas a little bit and, and all that. So there's, you know, there's a reluctance to want to ch- change anything else that you don't have to change. And I think there's a reluctance to extend the season at all. Like let's add more games. Like every week, it's like a, you know, nightmare seeing if you can get to the game and like, well, let's add another week. You're like, oh my God, like people might go crazy, like jumping off bridges because they're like, we well, got to do this again. 
Um, so yeah, so there's, there's a lot of issues there. There's no great answer. I mean, it starts with the yeah. PAC 12 coming into a, you know, seven week season with no chance to make anything up. You kind of knew some weird crap would happen. And this one's pretty weird. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see the matchup. I was actually really looking forward to it when, before the game got canceled, but this is just a, a 2020 casualty, if that makes sense. It is. And I think, it, I think Colorado had a shot, um, the way they were playing coming into that that game uh the one thing you know we didn't see really the usc defense started playing a lot better so that would have been a mm-hmm. um you know an interesting uh, matchup to watch but you know we'll see we'll see what happens uh all right why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and start doing some questions so back in a minute <laughs> All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Keely, we mentioned uh, Palaie Ote, and we talked about him on uh, the Harvey Hyde podcast about entering the transfer portal. If you want to, uh, I know we have a question about that. Maybe we can get to that. We do. It's from Guile Smiles, who says, Hello, guys. Quite a bombshell drop today, Monday, with the news that EA has entered the portal. It seems to me that though that EA's production on the field never even came close to matching the hype, and Malga and Goforth look to be better football players. Not saying that they are better athletes, but they seem to be around the ball more, and their football instincts are more developed. I'm not sure we will really miss EA on the field. What are your thoughts? You know, I don't like this take, and we've seen it a lot around there. And I I think it's maybe analogous to people saying JT Daniels stinks because they saw him playing in 2018 in the gumbo. I'm not saying like we saw a lot of these guys play in Todd Orlando's first couple of games and it just wasn't like no one looked like sharp. I mean, they were like you got like their Marlon to Pelotos and stuff, but uh, the linebackers just weren't looking good. They didn't look nobody looked good from that group. Uh, really, they were all ranked pretty low and it seemed like they started to get it, you know, by week three. But then we didn't get to really see Pallier after that. So I feel like he would have been out there making plays also. So I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, necessarily agree with this take. And uh, I know Clay Hilton, Clay was asked about it, I believe this morning, right, Keely, about uh, EA and uh, going to the transfer portal. Yeah, he said that uh, he talked to EA about it and basically EA wanted to explore his options. He said that uh, when it comes to the transfer portal, he, Clay Hilton is always going to take a supportive role. Um, and that's a, a strategy that's worked out for him. If you remember Brew McCoy, Chris Steele, even Matt Fink, those are guys who uh, transferred to USC or came back from the portal. So, I mean, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with EA. I know kind of asking around, it just he was not having fun. You know, he just did not look like he was having fun out on the field and he was just frustrated where things were going and frustrated uh, about that. So as far as Gal Smiles, like, uh, question though, it's I agree with you, Ryan. You know, if you go back to when EA came out injured at that Arizona game, everyone was down on the linebackers as a whole. Um, so it, they really took a step forward in the Utah game, and that's where EA was just not—he wasn't there, he wasn't playing. So I don't think we can really just praise go forth Amalga without saying, hey, what would have happened if EA was still playing and still developing? So uh, I, I don't think that's a fair assessment on that front. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one, but, uh, you know, you wish him uh, the best. One of the ones, he also was really nice to Velas Jones, if you remember. He entered the transfer portal and came back, mm-hmm. but then he entered it again. So, and I think he caught a touchdown for Tennessee against Florida, if I'm not mistaken. So, oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Former yeah. USC receivers catching touchdowns around the, the uh, you know, 
I think Joshua Metrobebe has got some and stuff. So that'd be interesting. Yeah. And also worth noting that I believe Chris Hummer of 247 said that USC hasn't cut off uh, his financial aid yet, EA's. And there seems to be a sense around USC that they can try and get EA back. So I think this is a, a, some, definitely a TBD and just watch out for this one. Because Chase McGrath also entered the NCAA transfer portal, but then he was on the sideline on on Sunday. So it was a little odd. Like, oh, you're in the portal, but you're also on the sideline. So a little odd in that sense. Yeah, that is weird. He wasn't dressed out, though, right? He was just on the he sideline. He was. No, he was dressed out. He was dressed out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was odd. He was on the bench and dressed out. I missed so, that. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Weird. Uh-huh. Uh, we have an email from our buddy Joan who says, Hi, Ryan and Keeley. You can tell this football team is talented. They can be very fun to watch for either the last two minutes or the first quarter. They cannot sustain anything over 60 minutes, even over terrible opponents. The defense looks much improved, but I agree with Coach Hyde that Drake Jackson isn't being utilized well. The offense still looks more still looks more like gumbo to me. They can't sustain drives with a run game, which is pathetic, and we have three talented backs. I also agree with Coach Hyde that if I was a running back, I wouldn't commit to USC because we have no run game and the other defense adjusts and we can't sustain momentum throwing the ball. That's football 101. And obviously, Harold and Helton didn't pass that class. No pun intended. Even Bones' former Cincinnati would crush us, let alone Alabama. Helton and Harold should retake the class, football 101. Fight on Joan Levis. And then... Since she mentioned Gumbo, I'm going to throw in another question with it that we got from Bill from okay. Las Vegas, uh, who said, this offense is looking a lot like it lacks a single philosophy. Are we looking at Gumbo version part two? Uh, is Clay Helton meddling with Graham Harrell's offense? So two Gumbo questions for you, Ryan. Wow. Joan, not real happy with uh, <laughs> no. what's going on there. She just kind of took a shot at everybody. Yeah, Joan the Drake always Jackson. brings the spice. <laughs> she does some spice. Um yeah, Drake Jackson only had an assisted tackle. I know Harvey Hyde was not too keen on that one. I mean, I just, uh, I finishing up doing the ArtCast uh, series that I was doing with Dr. Bartner, and we put like some highlights for the season on there. And you're like, hey, remember that Jake Jackson interception and stuff? He's made some big plays this year. But yeah, he didn't seem to do much uh, in the game against Washington State. But I'm not getting the gumbo stuff. Keely, because I feel like this is an offense that has an identity. I don't feel like they're trying a whole bunch of different things. They're not necessarily like focusing on the run. They're throwing the football. Now they've mixed it up and thrown it to different guys, but it's been pretty consistent. What makes this offense go and it's Keaton's Lois throwing to wide receivers, not throwing the guys out of the backfield, not throwing to tight ends. It's pretty like straightforward. It's like you got Keaton Slovis and you got good wide receivers and you throw the ball to them. And I think there's been like 200 targets and like five of them been to, tar- to tight ends or something like that. I mean, some crazy number, but it's really, a, I mean, I think it's, it's the opposite of gumbo. Like, you know exactly what you're getting. You are getting Keen Slovis throwing two wide receivers. Um, so maybe it's not what you want to see. Maybe it's not, you know, guys under center and eye formation and running the football and student body left and stuff like that. But there, I would disagree. I feel like there is an identity. It's just maybe an identity that some USC fans don't want or don't like or don't approve of. But I feel like this team has much more of an identity on offense than they did in 2018 when there really was that gumbo offense. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Do you think, Ryan, though, that people are 
saying gumbo just because they look out of sync. It just looks a little clunky this season. It just seems like they aren't on the same page or things just aren't moving well. And granted, that might just be, be because Keaton Slovis was off for the first couple of games and you saw the success he had against Washington State and maybe that's why it looks better. But do you think that gumbo could be translated to just out of sync or clunky? Because it just doesn't seem like it's it's functioning on all cylinders so far this season. Yeah, no, I mean, maybe that's why, but I wouldn't I wouldn't use that term. I mean, the, the reason you'd say yeah. gumbo is because you're kind of throwing a lot of ingredients in there. It's like a big, you know, big stew or something. Like yeah. this is more this is more simple. This is like a grilled chicken breast. Like you have like you know exactly what you're getting. Like it's a grilled chicken breast, you know? Um maybe you dress it up uh and that's when you got the run game going. But if you just have to eat the grilled chicken breast, that's what you're doing, and it's good. And it works and it's simple and you know what you, what you got. And that's this passing offense. Like they're throwing the ball to wide receivers. Like it's, it's a simple ingredient, but it works and they, that's what they do. So yeah, I would, I wouldn't say that's, yeah, has it looked a little clunky at times and they weren't able to run the football and like you've had stalling out in the red zone and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But I mean, this game, you know, they were good in the red zone. They, you know, they score four touchdowns and they're only four drives of the, the first quarter. Um, you know, that was pretty impressive what they were able to do. You didn't have any touchdowns for Amon Ross St. Brown on the year. And he walks away 15 minutes later with four. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I don't know, maybe they're not like, or this, my, what I think of the gumbo is different than what some of the, the listeners were saying at least. Yeah, I don't know. I was just trying to see if there was a, a different interpretation for what they were saying. Because it is, at times it's almost like it's too simple. Would you say, Ryan, at least in the running scheme and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, it looks like, you know, maybe it's a non-seasoned chicken breast sometimes. You know, it's like, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, you want to spice it up a little bit. Um, and, But they know what works, and I feel like that's just kind of what they're going with, which I like a lot better than, well, this does works, and this might work, and then we, yeah. we'll try a little of this, and then, well, what if we did this over there? Maybe that would work, and you're really just, it's grab bag. Like, Dan you know, Weber would always call it, like, grab bagging. And yeah. And, I'm not seeing that now, but there is a, you could argue the simplicity, like as the game goes on, USC hasn't scored a touchdown in the third quarter. Yep. The defenses kind of have a better understanding of what they need to do. Or, um, you know, are you, are you able to limit things when the, the field gets shorter and you're in the red zone? So, yeah, I, I think those are, those are more legit like criticisms than, than just like a generic, oh, it's gumbo. I, I just wouldn't call it that. Yeah. And as far as what we've heard about this offense so much, Ryan, both Harold and Helton have said it's an execution based offense. So when you hear that and then hear what Helton said today on Tuesday about how players were taking turns, i.e. someone was messing up every other play. What does that say about the team overall if it's execution based offense and people are, quote unquote, taking turns? (laughs) Yeah, that was that was weird because there were 16 rushes, right? By the running back. So we're going to get the Slovis stuff out of there. So, you know, whatever. He was sacked. There's 16 rushes, and there was one rush that went for five yards, and there was one that went for seven. And that's it. Like, that's the only good plays, or you know, quote-unquote good plays. You know, we've seen 40-something-yard runs in the other game. Like, no, that didn't happen this one. The longest run was seven yards. Um, basically, two successful runs out of the 16. I don't think he, you know, Clayton said he went back individually, looked at every play. If you can find a mistake like that in every play, like, well, this is a reason this didn't happen. This is the reason this didn't happen. And 
I think you have to look at the big picture. Like if you were like, well, why did those three or four plays not work? Here's the thing. Here's why did this, 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 if you're like, we ran it 16 times and not one of them went for a first down or, you know, 10 yards or whatever that that's gotta be more of a bigger picture problem. Not oh, that one was a physical beat. And that, okay. So you're saying that guy got bit physically beat. Otherwise it would have been a 20 yard run. Like I, I just don't buy that. So I feel like, there's a bigger problem there. And part of it probably had to do with, you know, the offensive line. But I think some of it's just, you know, there's going to be certain defenses that they're not set up well to, you know, run the ball against. And, you know, maybe we saw a little bit more of that with Washington state. So I, if you're throwing the football over the yard and it's working, that's fine. I just, you know, for me, it's, it's more about what do you do well? And they, they throw the football well and they can run the ball well, not, they should, or as Clay Helton was saying, like you have to, to be a championship team and all that stuff. I just, I don't think this is an offense that's set up to do something like that. They're set up to throw the football and then everything else sort of is like uh, gravy after that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go to another question. Cause it's, it's touches on what we just talked about. It's okay. from Port- Portland, Mike class of 67. He says, I, like everyone else, have noticed the team's lack of running and that it was a real problem. I was told that both of the guards were freshmen and relatively inexperienced, as were some of the other linemen. If that is the case, have we been unduly critical of the run game? Hopefully the O-line will be up to strength for UCLA, Portland Mike. So he he was wondering, is this game not the game to be critical of USC's running game and, and the offensive line, given the COVID issues and the inexperience? Well, I mean, to, like I said before, to be fair, the coaches didn't use it as an excuse. And it was only Graham Hill always said that because he was asked about the offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, you know, they were, what, 93 yards against Utah. So that's a far cry from the 170 a game also. And you had a full strength, you know, offensive line there. Um, I I think you can, you know, you're putting in a six foot seven, 320 pound dude that you've coached up, you know, as long as some of these other guys like, you know, it's like. Yeah, they haven't played. Why haven't they played? Well, you haven't blown people out like you should have. Like that's part part of it is on you. So I'm not gonna like give a full pass because this is the first time these guys got in a game. You had opportunities to get them in a game if you would have played well and you didn't do that. I mean, Arizona is on eleven game losing streak and you needed a fourth quarter touchdown to to win. <laughs> like, come on. Like that's a team you should blow out. If you're you're talking about championships, you should have blown out Arizona. No yeah. question about it. So yeah. You could have got some of these guys in at some point. We saw on defense, man, they were substituting everybody in the second half. And yeah. there seemed to be more reluctance on the offensive side. So I, I would not say, Portland, Mike, this is an excuse. The coaches haven't used an excuse. I'm not giving them a pass because of that. And like we already mentioned, you know, Ohio State, they're a pretty good team. They have a great quarterback, like a Heisman Trophy winning, you know, potential winning quarterback. They had four offensive linemen out and they played a really good Michigan State defense. They're not a good team, but they're good against the run. And they ran for over 300 yards on them. So there was all the excuses in the world. We're like, well, you got a quarterback like that. Why do you need to run the football? And four of your starting offensive linemen are out. And they were a really good run defense. Didn't matter. They ran for 300 yards. So I, to me, there's no excuse for not running for – you can't run for five yards against a Washington State team that's giving up 200 yards a game. You, Your backups are going to be better than some of the teams that Washington State played. So, yeah, that to me, that's like, no, that's that's not an excuse. And that's why it's so weird when we go into these press conferences, at least for me, Ryan, because you if you're talking about championships and you're talking about the elite team you want to be, but then you ask about the, the, the running issues and then 
we get kind of like a, a short answer about it. It just seems like, okay, well, are we, what's, it just, it's confusing because it just seems like we're seeing different things in that sense. You know, Ryan? Yeah, no, it is. It, I mean, <laughs> when, uh, I don't want to harp on things they say too much, but it's like when you're talking about this team's getting better and they're improving, like you can say that about certain aspects of the team. I think Keen Slovis looks better. He looks yeah. like he's throwing the ball better. The defense certainly is getting better, but something you harped on, it was like this, you know, crown jewel that you were running the football. Well, you can't go from 175 yards to 93 to five and have any thought that this is getting better. It's not getting better. That's something that's actually getting worse. You know, uh, why is that? And it's sort of like, those things are just like, well, there's this, there's that, but anything that happened to be going up, they're like, oh, we're getting, like, obviously look, we're getting better. We're getting better. Like, well, yeah, I mean, there's some things that are getting better. You want the defense to be better. Special teams have been pretty good, I think, all year. And then, um, you know, Keaton Slovis getting better. That's kind of all you need. If the run game goes to, to crap, you don't need it. Like you could do, you can win. You can win these games with you know defense, Keaton Slovis and wide receivers, and some and pretty good special teams or you know above average special teams, which we haven't seen. Um, but you know, I'm not the one saying that you need the run game. That was Clay Helton that was saying that, and like that's going down, and then that's something you don't address. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 kind of weird, but yeah, sometimes you're just like getting the the PR version of what's going on when you like can see things you're like, well, obviously that isn't the case because we saw this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, I didn't want to harp anymore, but it was just uh, trying to reference the the differences in opinion, maybe when it comes down to the pressers, <laughs> oh. but shall we go to a voicemail, right? Yeah, let's do it. I was going to do that. You can read my mind. We've been doing this a long time. You know what I'm going to do. We have. It's true. Healy like kind of keeps me in check. She's just, you know, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. She tells me when I'm, going off too much and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, uh, all right, let's do a voicemail. Hi, Keely and Ryan. I'm back. Uh, I wasn't quite as disconnected as I intended to be. I guess I like USC football too much, but, uh, but anyway, so after four straight wins, including at least one road victory, uh, I, I'm, I'm told you I'd be back. So I'm back officially on the Parastyle podcast. So anyways, uh, my question is, if USC played the top four teams in the CFPB right now, so that's Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Clemson, not necessarily in that order, uh, what do you guys think the scores would be if USC played those teams and all of the teams, including USC, were at full strength and there were no COVID-19 sit-outs on, on either side? So and if there were four games, USC against those four teams, what are your projected final scores? All else equal. Side on, Jason Longhorn Country. Hey, Jason. I, I think the point is, yeah, USC would probably get blown out by all those teams. Like, is that what you're trying to get me to say? Because that's what I'm going to say, because I think that's what would happen. But I don't know. Do you have a different – I'm not going to give you a score. I just think it would be a lopsided game against all of those teams. I've seen them all play. And I think USC would probably lose to all of them handily but i don't know what do you think keely nope pretty much the same jason from longhorn country glad to have you back but he's trying to put us on the spot and <laughs> expose us for our takes but yeah it would be a blowout for all the, four i mean okay so usc's four and oh they got a chance to be five and oh for the first time since 2006 is it a normal year obviously not could they have lost a couple of those games obviously yes um I mean, there's all you can do is really what's out there. And is it unfortunate? 
that the basically the best games on the schedule got lopped off. And, you know, even the team that you thought would be terrible is the only team that's undefeated on your schedule. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's tough, right? I mean, you know, USC played Arizona State. How many games did they won, Keely? Do you know how many? Or, uh, Ohio State? No, no. USC's played Arizona State. Oh, sorry. They have, they have no, no wins. Zero. Um, Zero. Arizona? Yeah. yeah, no, no wins. They're on a 11-game uh, losing streak. Uh, Utah got a win, right? So that's good to you know get a win there. And then um, Washington State has one win also. They beat Oregon State. So it's not like the record of the teams USC's played so far has been good. And then the one team you thought would be terrible is undefeated in Colorado, and you missed that game. So it's really like all the opportunities to play like the better teams because you could have played Oregon, even though they lost a couple games. Uh, you could have played Washington. You could have played Notre Dame. Like, you know, all those, they're gone. Like, you can't play those, and you can't get that back. So all you can do is play what's on the schedule. But I watch these games. I watch this team. I've watched those other games. If I had to, you know, what would the spread be? It would be, you know, two touchdowns or more for any of those teams that are in the top four, I would say. Even though USC gets a bump for talent and reputation and all that, I still think it would be a pretty large spread, probably Alabama being the largest one. Um, but, you know, look at LSU. Like, that's a team that's sort of in disarray a little bit, but they got a lot of talent. And Alabama just, ro- you know, rolled through them. Like, it, they were not even there. Um, you know, maybe USC could be feisty for a quarter or two, but just the way they've seen you've seen them play – you can't come out and play one quarter against Alabama and say, oh, we scored. For you. Even if you scored four touchdowns in one quarter, if you did nothing the rest of the game, you're still going to get killed. You know, so, uh, yeah, I I get what you're saying, Jason. I don't think they would beat any of those teams, but I'm not going to be super critical of USC going undefeated. It's like, yeah, I mean, we know that it's not the greatest schedule in the world anymore. And we know, like, the one game that they missed looked like it could have been the toughest game on the schedule that was revised, which I didn't think was going to be the case, but it's sort of just like this COVID roulette and you're just, you know, you'd spin the wheel and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it would be like what we've seen with health and teams going against physical, well-coached teams in the past couple of years. The talent would hang in for as long as it can, and then the more physical team would take over. That's just what's happened when USC goes up against the Ohio States and the Alabamas of the world. You know, it just doesn't work out for USC because they're just not as physical as the top teams in the nation. Yeah. You know? Uh, Shall we go to another question? Sure. we actually got it in the first quarter of Sunday's game. It's from Andrew and Brentwood, who said, Hello, Ryan and team. Note, I'm writing this in the first quarter, so please pardon any cold takes. But should USC play every game on Sundays? 28-0 to in the first quarter is a fantastic start. Credit to the staff and players for getting energized for such an odd game. My question is, is this referee the same one who penalized Marquis Stepp for shaking hands with Reggie Bush after his first touchdown? In my opinion, if you score four touchdowns in one quarter like Amon Ross St. Brown just did, you can do whatever you want. Let him ride Traveler up and down the sideline for all I care. In light of John Canzano's latest story on the Pac-12 and officiating, maybe the refs shouldn't put the spotlight on themselves when penalizing a kid for harmlessly, harmlessly spinning a ball on the ground. Fight on, Andrew and Brentwood. Uh, thanks for the uh, question, Andrew. I mean... The spinning the ball thing is kind of funny. Um, we talked about this on Tunnel Vision a little bit. That's something that we've seen Amon Ross St. Brown do in high school. He's just he kind of likes his his antics and stuff. And you know, I think the way the rules are, it's going to be a penalty 
is that something you could overlook, especially in like, there's no fans and, you know, you're not taunting anybody. You're not doing it at someone. Yeah. You could probably, uh, you could probably let that go. Uh, as far as playing on Sundays. Um, yeah. You know, I guess, I think USC's three and two now on Sunday games. They had a bunch of games like late nineties, early two thousands for, uh, those, uh, early season, like the kickoff classic kind of stuff. But like Keelan, and I said earlier, that's kind of fun to play those, to play those games. And, you know, you get an opportunity. Guys like Talanoa Hufunga has a huge game, and you're like, oh, I could see him play on Sundays. He seems to be doing pretty well. Um, so with that there, so yeah, I, yeah, I don't think you're going to see a lot of Sunday games in college football. But this is just a <laughs> pandemic thing, and uh, yeah. it was kind of fun to you know be a part of. It. We saw UCLA and Cal play, you know, 9 a.m. on Sunday, so kind of before football gets NFL gets started. But this one was right in the middle of it, so that was a little different. Yeah, but I liked it though. But yeah, you can't spin the ball and, and get away with it. So Amonra had some flash, but I, I guess you could do whatever you want if you get four touchdowns. And back to your point really quickly, Ryan, about just do what you're good at. I really hope that they were gonna go for Amonra St. Brown's fifth touchdown. Because yeah. it was it was such a rare thing. I was like, why not just go for it? Why not really just sell out and just get him that fifth touchdown? I I don't know. Yeah, that's uh if you would have said, okay, it's 28 nothing after the first quarter. This will be the game USC scores 50, right? You'd have been like, of course. Yeah, of course they're going to score 50. And yeah. to get 38 after that, you're like, oh, all right. But I did want to see Amon Ross St. Brown at least go over 100 yards. And we, we talked about this on the um, tunnel vision, but he wasn't even Pac-12 player of the week for the offense, you know? I know. Um, so Broussard had 301 yards rushing, but he didn't have any touchdowns. It was funny. I was watching that game, and the poor kid – he would get the ball at like his own 20 and like run it for 75 yards and get tackled. And then he was too tired and they'd let someone else come in and vulture the touchdown. So he was like a l- big yardage guy, no touchdowns. And, um, Amon Ross St. Brown was not a big yardage guy, but had all the touchdowns. So I don't know. I I'm still more impressed with the four touchdowns and 300 yards rushing. Yeah, I know Shotgun made the case on Tunnel Vision for 300 yards, but I was just more impressed by four touchdowns in one quarter. That's an impressive feat, especially when he had zero touchdowns coming into the game. He made short work of that. So I would vote for Owen on St. Brown, but but who knows? Yeah, no, I I would have uh, would have too. But you know, and it's funny we had to in the early on in the show uh, they mentioned Chris Trevino. I thought he did a great job with you guys on your. Uh, make sure you guys check out the Family Feud and. I love chalk on getting that wrong, thinking that <laughs> Eric Kropenhoek was going to have more touchdowns than Amon Ross St. Brown. And it's like, it's like you couldn't have scripted any better. Like I listened to the show and he said, and he's like, oh yeah, I'm, I got a two nothing lead. I'm going to take Eric Kropenhoek and Amon Ross St. Brown like catches one. You're like, uh Oh, he's halfway there. Then he catches another one. You're like, Oh, right, he's tied already. Cause the third one's like, okay, well he's never going to get past now. And then catches the fourth one just to like, you know, put a little, Sherry on top of that Sunday. I I kept thinking of shotgun the whole time I was watching that. I know we kept getting tweets about it too. It was so funny. I loved it. And especially because I said, I was like, Nope, I'm leaving it. You can't count out on Ross St. Brown. I was like, you never know what he could do. I'll, I'll believe it. And, and I think Chris said, Oh, well, what if he gets three touchdowns in one game? And I was like, yeah, you never know. It could happen. And then here he goes, he gets four in one quarter. So it was like, literally we could have scripted it. Someone like probably played on Ross St. Brown, the, the podcast. And they were like, okay, let's prove shotgun wrong. And I loved every second of it. Yeah. It was it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Shall we go to an email? From... Uh, yeah, you want to do? Yeah, let's do an email. An email from Marina Valley, and then I think we have a voicemail from Marina Valley. So okay. uh, it's 
It's from Junior from Marina Valley who says, Hello, Trojans. Now that Jake Garcia has decommitted from USC, what other options are open uh, besides Miller Moss? As always, fight on, Junior from Marina Valley. Yeah, so um, this was interesting, right? When we've heard from, uh, you know, we've heard from Jake Garcia for quite a while about, um, you know, what's, you know, he was going to be the longtime commitment for USC and Miller Moss comes on the, you know, he commits later on and then you're like, okay, is Jake Garcia going to decommit? He's sticking with, he's sticking with it. COVID hits. He moves out of state to play in a high school in Georgia. His parents have to get like a legal separation just so he could play. Someone writes a story on it. He becomes ineligible. He's moved to another high school and gets to play. Um, and now he ends up decommitting and USC has one, you know, receiver. I mean, uh, one quarterback, uh, commit in the class now. Um, but then part of it was they were going after, uh, Jackson dart. Who's a four star pro style quarterback from uh, Draper, Utah, someone that they were looking at. And, you know, is there some concern that USC you know, had one quarterback and Jake Garcia, and then they get a second one and now they're looking at a third one. But, you know, if you, you know, Gerard Martinez talks about this a lot. It's just really you've been burned a lot of times. You can't stop recruiting just because you have someone committed. It doesn't necessarily you're going to, like, get that person to commit or or sign. But, you you know, if someone drops out, you want to be able to have still have a relationship with some of these other guys. So it looks to me like Jackson Dart's the guy, um, you know, right now, if you look at his uh, page, you know, there's uh, – you know, a lot of people think he's going to go to BYU, but that's someone that definitely USC has been, you know, recruiting hard. So I think that's where you'd have to look um, first as far as like adding somebody, um, you know, Sam Heward is a, a Washington uh, commit, you know, that's someone that they've recruited as well. But um, yeah, I would probably look at, at Jackson Dart at this point. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Keely. Yeah, and I think what kind of shows you that they're definitely looking towards Dart is that uh, last week they offered a preferred walk-on scholarship to uh, three-star wide receiver Noah Jar. I don't know if that's how you say his last name, but he's basically uh, Dart's right-hand man. He's the receiver that he's thrown to in high school. So the fact that you give a preferred walk-on <laughs> offer to uh, a wide receiver from Dart's high school and that he's close with kind of is a wink and a nod of like, hey – Come to USC, you know? Yeah. So I, I still think USC will get two quarterbacks in this class. Um, I was a little skeptical that, that Garcia would stick around early on. But then once he did, you're like, all right, well, he'll probably stick around. And then that fell apart. And But it's, you know, this is COVID. He was a Southern California kid. If he didn't go to high school in Georgia and to play, would he have stuck with USC? Probably. I don't know. I mean, this opens up new opportunities when you you go out of state like that. So. Um, we will see what happens there, but thanks for that question. But speaking of Moreno Valley, we got our buddy Curtis too. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Uh, for the USC fans, a win is a win. Unless you want to trade with the Oregons of the world with two losses now. And the used to be undefeated Washington Huskies. We're the undefeated ones now. And it looks like if you're in man coverage, we can tell immediately and we can throw immediately. It was third down and one when Keaton Slovis threw that dime to Tyler Vons in the end zone. A bomb. 
no ducks. I think that's what Washington State had been watching the films. They challenged Keaton Slovis arms. They thought he would be throwing ducks, so they stacked the box so we couldn't run. They didn't go soft. And you see what happens. I think we're in good shape, and I appreciate my team, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Um, Curtis. Well, so he's kind of going back to the win is a win thing. And, uh, well, tell you, tell you what, Curtis, USC wins out. Is a win a win if they don't make the college football playoff? No, I mean, they, they didn't look good enough and they weren't going to, you know, win the beauty contest. I think, yeah, when it's much better to win than to lose, but it depends what your goals are. You want to win a high, at a higher level. We talked about this before. We don't need to rehash, uh, all this kind of stuff, but Keaton did look a lot better. And we, we talked about this on tunnel vision. Would it be, you know, having some time off? Was that going to be something that had a positive impact on Slovis? And it seemed like it did, you know, and Graham Harrell talked about it a little bit today too, Keely, but, you know, it sounds like, you know, the mental aspect of the game, you know, having a little time off seemed to help him a little bit. Yeah, that's something that I asked you and Chaka, and I was like, is this time off going to have him focus more on what he's doing and, and not work well for him? But it seemed to work well for him, so that's that's a positive sign. And like Curtis was saying, I think there are definitely positives you take out of this game. USC, it was a funky COVID uh, practice week for them. It was a Sunday game. They could have laid an egg, and they didn't. Um, you have the defense really capitalizing and, and making the most out of uh, out of turnovers and whatnot. Talano Hufunga, tip drill, interception, and hurdling a guy. You know, there's good things to take out of this win. It just And like I said, if you're a fan, you can take whatever you want out of the game. You know, if you're too critical, if you're too optimistic, hey, you're a fan, do what you want. But, you know, this team says that they want to be a championship team. They have elite goals. Well, they're not looking like that in every area and every facet of the game. So... That's why we say what we say, but a win is a win. But like Ryan said, it's just not every win is a win when the college football playoff committee is, is looking at the team. Yeah. But I mean, I Curtis, you're the optimist. I don't think USC fans should be upset that they're undefeated. If they beat UCLA, losing to UCLA will definitely be a blow. And that's gonna there's going to be a lot of criticism. And that, it'll be warranted. That's fine. I and mean, UCLA is a pretty good team, uh, even though they got the two losses. It's, you know, they've won three games. You know, USC's played a total, you know, the, all the teams USC's played have won a total of two games at this point. So UCLA's won three on their own. This is a real team. They're playing better football right now. And that's a, I think you feel good about getting a win over the Bruins. It's your rival and, you know, puts you into the Pac-12 championship game. I don't think there's any excuses for winning. You know, you won, you go 5-0 and and you go to the championship game. That's fine. Do you feel great like this is a national championship type caliber team? No, I don't think it is. I don't, I don't even think Curtis think it is. But, um, you know, I wouldn't, you don't want to give yourself demerits because you've, you did what you needed to do. You won all the games that were put in front of you. Yeah. Do you feel amazing about it? No, it's, it's weird COVID year, but this is a, you know, this is going to be a good game against a good UCLA team. From what I've seen, we've seen teams look good one week and then look like crap the other week. So who knows what happened? Like Washington state really looked worse than what he's seen the first two games, but they had two weeks off, you know? Um, so there's so many X factors in this. But I don't want anyone to feel bad about winning the Pac-12 South and winning the Pac-12. Um, if you can do that, I still think that's an accomplishment, even though, like you said, you know, you're missing, you know, your toughest games on the schedule are no longer there. Yep, completely agree, Ryan. Shall you're we go to me too much, Keila? You got to like tell me I'm wrong all the time. That's well, that's... I do sometimes. <laughs> 
But at the end of a lengthy pod, it's sometimes great to agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have two more emails. One of them is from Jack from New Jersey, who said uh, he had a, a long list of things that he was basically ranting around about. So we're going to pick some uh, some topics that he talked about. First off, he said, if the offense doesn't develop a better running game, quality high school running backs are not going to come to USC. I know you love the concept of the air raid, but at what cost to a well-balanced offense? Just ask Coach Hyde. USC is going to become wide receiver U and be 8-4 and four every year. We all know that has to change. So basically, Jack has uh, refuted your main thesis for this podcast, Ryan. I, I'm not saying I love the air raid. I love having some sort of direction for the offense and it could have been the wing T it could have, whatever it was, it needed to be something that you had an identity and you knew what it was. And I feel like Graham Harrell in his version of the air raid has an identity and we've seen them run the football more when he was at North Texas. They usually had a different kind of running back. I mean, they're, you know, working in, these bigger guys, guys that just they look like they could run behind, you know, in an I formation. They didn't really have those kind of running backs at North Texas. And they would, you know, use them in different ways and slip the runs in there. And, and you know, they had like a 60-40 run, you know, past the run percentage, something, you know, a ratio, something like that. Um, but I feel like this, this, this offense does have an identity, you know. And does it impact running back recruiting is the big question. Now, this is an area that USC has struggled a little bit uh, recruiting. So, um, you know, right now you got Brandon Campbell from Katy, Texas. Uh, he's a four-star running back. He's been a, you know, commit for, for quite a while. Um, but that's that's really it right now. I mean, they're, they're going after uh, Brian Cardwell uh, from San Diego. Um, you know, he's another four-star guy. They have you know, some other dudes on their uh, target list. But to me, that's, you know, you're losing some guys. You need to get more, um, you know, running backs in there. And I'm not saying the reason why is because they're running the air raid. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly why. But if you're concerned about that and running the football, it's going to be hard to get running backs. Yeah, and maybe you need to get a different kind of running back, like someone, you know, they're more of the scat back kind of guys, which not traditional like you see at USC all the time. I don't know. But they haven't been recruiting lights out at the running back position. And I'm not going to point to exactly why, but that's definitely something that you could be concerned with. I'm not concerned about the offense overall, uh, but they need to do a better job recruiting uh, you know, running backs at this point. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Keely. Yeah, I know there has been some rumblings on the P worried about Brandon Campbell's status. And I know I think he sounded a little frustrated on social media. So I think that's something to definitely watch for. But I think... You know, I we I think we even had the running back parent in the chat on Tunnel Vision, and I think there obviously has to be some frustration if you're a running back because you're just not getting the yards and the the stats that you really want. Um, so I mean, it's definitely something to watch for, but I I I don't know, Ryan. I I think they have to figure it out, and I think it starts with the offensive line, and that's something we've talked about the offensive line recruiting ad nauseum on this podcast, so we don't have to go into it. But I just think it's it's multi layered issues that are kind of coming home to roost right now. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with you there. 
Jack also had another issue that he wanted to bring up. It was about USC's COVID issues. He said, I may be wrong, but if the COVID-infected USC players were mainly linemen, might that not speak to the close contact that they had playing Utah, which was having a difficult time handling their own COVID outbreaks? USC was very clean until that game. Um, yeah, that was a theory that popped up, but that's false just because uh, USC figured out that they probably had a false negative uh, test with the original offensive lineman who tested positive. And then uh, just based on when symptoms appeared, he was infectious starting on Saturday on game day. So that theory doesn't make sense because if they were infected by Utah, it would have taken a couple more days for that to really set in the incubation time. So I don't think it was Utah at least originally. And then the spread kind of happened from there among uh, the offensive linemen. So I don't think it was a Utah issue on that standpoint. Yeah, so. Jack, and I haven't heard of any like on-field um, transmission of the virus. Really, it's really not been like, oh, you know, Colorado had it, and that, well, the Colorado—that's a bad example. But you know, Arizona State played USC, and Arizona State was out for three weeks. And no one at USC got it. You know, um, it usually happens. And for the like, what Keeley said, from what we had heard, I think John Wilner wrote about this a little bit too. Some of the details, but the only day players don't get tested was Sunday because that's a day off. And if you get a false negative, which we had heard it happened, that kind of screws you because then, you know, you get a false negative on a, the game day. Um, now you're around your play, you know, other people, then you don't get tested again on Sunday because that's your day off. And then, you, so you really can't find out for, a, you know, it's like missing a couple of days. So it's a, sort of like a little loophole in the daily testing thing. Obviously you want the test to be accurate. Um, the fact that you test daily, if one test is off, it's usually not that big of a deal. This one seemed to cause a little bit more problems because it was like back to back with an off day. So you went, you basically went a couple of days without knowing that a guy was positive, which the way the system set up normally wouldn't happen. So it's, to me, this was like a, I think USC has done a really good job of trying to contain everything. And this was just sort of like a freak thing that happened from, from my understanding. Yeah, and the fact that USC was able to walk away with just four positives because they had a similar situation to ASU, and ASU was taken out for a long time, and they had a lot of spread. So the fact that USC was able to kind of batten down the hatches and figure things out and not have it spread everywhere, I think is a, a major testament to USC, how seriously they've taken it, and just the protocols they have in place. So well done yeah. for USC to, to somehow get it together, play on a Sunday against Washington State. <laughs> yeah, so. four positives, you get like, you know, seven, whatever guys in, in quarantine, which you're, you're, you know, you can test out if you're positive. You can't, when you're in quarantine, you're like, you're stuck in there for Arizona state. I mean, USC missed one game, you know, they moved the game from Friday to Sunday and they made it work. Uh, it sucks the, the game they missed. Cause it was a big one against Colorado. I mean, Arizona state, similar thing happens, like you said, and like Herm Edwards is sick. Like everybody, I mean, it went all over the place. They missed three games. So, yeah. um, and that's after playing a game. So this isn't like to start. So yeah, that's, uh, I think USC's handled it well and it took just to miss the game. It took like this really kind of freak thing happening, uh, without that freak thing, like you might've been missing an offensive lineman or something for a, a game, but I don't think USC would have had to miss the game. Yeah. It also was just a freak thing in the sense that, that, uh, third positive came on Thanksgiving when the county wasn't really available and three was now considered an outbreak in the eyes of the county. It was like a whole thing. So it was just, it's, it's it was just bad luck for USC all around in that sense, but they yeah. came out of it and it was described to me as a, a minor miracle that they were able to have as little spread as they did. So congrats to USC on that front. Um, but we have one last email, Ryan, and it's from Don. 
He's actually talking about Corey Foreman. He says, Corey, is Corey Foreman the most hyped high school player since you've been doing your show and podcast? Do you think he can live up to this hype? The Greg Biggins interview revealed a few things, in my opinion. One, Foreman appears to be impressed with Georgia more than any other team. Two, USC actually has a chance, a long shot, but Foreman was positive about the new staff and being close to home, and Helton's family philosophy appears philosophy appears to matter to him foreman sounded like a very mature thoughtful and grounded young man must have a very sound family influence don hey don thanks i mean i mean he's the number one player in the country so there's obviously going to be some hype but it, a, a lot of it just depends on what's going down around um when usc was recruiting at the you know they're always getting like the number one or number two class or whatever a top three four class all the time I mean, there was always dudes that you were, you know, you grabbed the Adoree Jackson or Juju Smith-Schuster or Damian Mama. Like, that was all in one class. Like, all these, you know, five-star guys right, like, here in Southern California. And there was a lot of hype around a lot of them. I mean, we've I, – I can't tell you how many times I've been out to Sarah High School and you're covering, like, the Marquise Lees or the Robert Wood. Like, there's always dudes that are getting a lot of hype. Now, they weren't the number one players in the country like, uh, you know, Corey Foreman is. And I think with USC being – a little more down it's tough because you you really need this guy you know you need to add him to your class to try to get back on track especially with you know the the powers from outside of the conference coming into california and cherry picking some of the best guys we've seen that happen um you know you get bryce young and and dj and all these guys that are going out of state that's a big deal um, but also Oregon and even Washington coming in and, and taking some guys from California and from the West that are high ranked four or five star guys or keeping guys at the rare, you know, five star in the Pacific Northwest and keeping them home as opposed to having USC go in and cherry picking out, you know, a Zach Banner or a Taylor Mays or guys like that. That's typically what USC would do. Austin Jackson, you know, from Arizona, USC goes in and gets him as a five star Lyman, like that's not happening as much anymore. So I think it's more about USC's state of desperation as far as recruiting goes. You're coming off their worst class we've ever seen. You need to get some of those dudes, especially a guy that's in your backyard who's like basically best friend is already on your team. Um, you want to get guys like that. So I wouldn't say he's the most hyped. Um, I and mean, there's been a lot of super hyped guys uh, over the years. I mean, like Matt Barkley had, you know, there was a ton of hype around him. JT Daniels himself was ton of hype when he, you know, comes early. There was a lot of guys that just had, you know, a lot of hype about them, but he's Corey Foreman is just important because USC needs a win and they need, they can't let another local, you know, potential legend, uh, get away. Like they've had the last couple of years. Yeah, no, exactly. Ryan. I mean, how do you see this one going? Do you have a sense right now? I don't really like it's, I mean, it's so weird right now. And just, you know, USC's not in the best place as far as, um, you know, I mean, they're doing better, obviously. They're, they're doing better than what we've seen before. And I think just being local in the pandemic is like, you know, that's a great thing, right? You need, you need that. Um, the local thing helps you a lot because it's just, you know, he's a guy that can, has the means to go out and, and take some visits and stuff. But, um, you know, is he more hyped than like a Kayvon Thibodeau that was like the number two player in the class a couple of years ago? I'm not sure. Um, there's a bunch of guys I think that are, that are kind of hyped like that. 
I mean, if I had to, I think USC's got a pretty good shot at getting him. Um, but I just don't have a sense of like, okay, I, I really feel he's going to do this or, or not. I mean, he's someone that just seems to like, he could go anywhere, you know, he could end up at Clemson again, or he could be yeah. USC or stay. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's important to keep him on the West coast. Um, but obviously if you're a USC fan, you want to keep him at USC, but a guy like him going out of state in a pandemic, I think would be a bad sign for local recruiting overall. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It shall be interesting to see for sure. He's signing, but not announcing until the all American game. Right. Yeah, so Talano Hufunga did this too. Um, some other guys have done this where yep. they sign, but then they'll commit at a, you know, which I don't even know they're doing. I mean, I think some of these oh, games. Oh, true. Can, yeah, like they're supposed to announce in January or whatever, but I'm not sure what the status of all the the games are. Like usually you go out for like the Polynesian Bowl, you know, the, like that's that's fun. I've you know been to San Antonio for the all-American Bowl many, many times. And I believe I got an email that said that was canceled, but I, I don't remember. It's hard to keep track of everything that's what's going or what's canceled or what. Yeah, understandable. All right. That's it. Yep. That's all we got. There's a long one. <laughs> I know. Uh, I took, it's, it's a lot of talking. I did like a, you know, like I said, I did the art cast right before this. So it's like, you know, you get like, you start talking for two and a half hours. It's like, okay, I'm ready to stop talking for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's understandable for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, Keely, great job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, that's Keely Yor. I am Ryan Abraham. We thank all of you for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 